So we're in Romans 12. Last time we got down to about verse 12. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. And so the the rejoicing of the church has nothing to do with what's going on in the outward man. That whatever the outward condition is, whether whether it's in great triumph and enjoyment and pleasure of life or whether we're, we're stricken with sickness, with trouble, with distress, whatever that it be, the rejoicing of the church is not at all tied up in the condition of the outward man. But the rejoicing is in the expectation of what God has already accomplished for us in Jesus. That whether whether we triumph or whether we're downtrodden, in Jesus we still have the victory. And the church is able to rejoice, be patient in tribulation. So that cheerful endurance, that staying under the load that God would have us to bear, that as we would uh, endure tribulation, we would be patient and stay under those because our Lord Jesus Christ, He stayed under the cross and the shame of it till the work was accomplished and continuing instant in prayer. So again, that means to be earnest towards, to be constantly diligent of. So we looked last time, and we won't go through all that again, at several scriptures where we are commanded and exhorted to pray not to pray ever now and then, but that men ought to always pray and not faint. Uh, Not to pray in the flesh and in my works as the Pharisee did, but to come humbly before God recognizing one of my favorite scriptures of the Old Testament, Daniel. One of the great men of the Old Testament there in, in Babylon. He had stood for God. He had in endured affliction, he had endured tribulation, he had done many great works down there. And a great example, and like a man of such a stature that when they thought, how are we going to trip up and catch this man in something, they said, well, we know what we'll do. We'll make a law against prayer because he sure ain't going to stop praying. That's the kind of man that Daniel was. And Daniel was seeking God's face. And he said, Lord, not for our righteousness do we ask these things, but for thy great mercy. And so we're dependent always on the mercy of God to come with our righteousness to offer unto God something that that we've done and say, God, this is deserving of your blessing would be like bringing the fruit of the ground and offering that to the Lord. So continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. So distributing to necessity. So as you think about that, as God has provided for each, honest to God, we're provided for differently. We're in different situations of life. And as we had a brother here recently, a brother in need. We took up collection and we shared of what God had blessed and favored us with, with him to his need and to the need of his body. And God says that the church is to be that way. Now, a lot of times 
a lot of times things are turned around that the church ought to be a charity organization caring for the community. But here it is distributing to the necessity of the saints. So it's those that's in the body that's, that's a part of the church of the living God. Those are the ones that are under the care and the watchfulness of the church. So he says this in Hebrews chapter 6 verse 10, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love which ye have shewed toward His name in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. So the writer there is saying to the church of the Hebrews, he says, you know, God's not, He's not forsaken or forgotten all that you do to care for the brethren there that's in your church. And there's scriptures all over the New Testament. He says in 1 John 3, Whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? So here, a little more challenging. Here's somebody that has all and more that he needs, and here's a brother that is in need, and he says, how, how can you shut up your bowels of compassion and not provide? How can you say then that the love of God dwells in you? What was the love of God? That mankind, fallen in sin, unable to help or to do better himself, that God came, his bowels of compassion's were opened, God provided His Son as a sacrifice and God works through His Spirit to raise from the dead. So that if you're saved then, you're saved because God first loved you, God opened His bowels of compassion upon you, God provided you with His Son as a sacrifice, God provided you with His Spirit to quicken you, God provided you with His righteousness that He had earned. He provided you with life that came from Him and not from us so that we, when when we were in need, God provided all things for us. And so, you see, God's not asking us to do that that's unreasonable, that that He wouldn't do, but He's already did. And we're to follow that example. Our, Our behavior is to be an example of the love of God that's in Christ Jesus, distributing to the necessity of the saints. So he says this in Matthew 25, and we heard this just just the other night. The king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. So the Lord says here, you've done it unto the least of these my brethren. You've You've cared for them. You've watched over them. You've shown love one for another. And the Lord says, as as you show love to the brethren, you're really loving me. Because that's, that's what I command you to do. That's my will for you. As you love them, you love me. And so we have a hard time tying those together. Well, I can love the Lord, and I don't, I don't really have to love the brethren. But that, that's an impossibility. If we don't love the brethren, 
then we don't love the Lord because He is our brother by the Word. He's not ashamed to call us brethren. And so as we've entered into the family of God, I can't despise the brethren and love the Lord Jesus. That is, that is an absolute contradiction and it's impossible for that to be. So distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality. So to have an open door and welcoming to all. I believe that ought to be the case at the church house. That is, people would want to come in. We have a welcoming nature at the house of God, opening our doors, letting them in, welcoming them in, not shunning, not trying. You know, man would try to convict himself. We want to make them feel ashamed. We want to make them feel outcast. That's, that's not our job in the least to do that. But we're to have a hospitality. We're to be hospitable to everyone that would come into the church house and the work of condemning, the work of, of drawing, the work of convicting, that's the work of God. We've got no business in that work. So we welcome, we bring them in, we have church as usual, we let them know that they're welcome, we want them to feel that they're welcome and loved, and when they need to be saved, God will do all the rest. But we're to be hospitable. So I, I believe that's a great rule for the house of God. But I believe here also he's talking about at the house as well. That is, somebody has need that we had opened our doors to our brethren that we would say, you're welcome to come whenever you have need. So, given to hospitality, bless them, verse 14 now, bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. So to bless, that word means to speak well of them that would persecute, that would pursue you, that's desire is to cast you down. Now here we're, we're contrary to every law and every way of man that there is. It's against nature to bless somebody, to speak well of somebody that only intends to cause you trouble and to cause you evil. But the Lord says, bless them and curse not. And we're going to get ahead of ourselves just for a minute. We'll look at it again uh, when we get there. But on down in verse 19, Avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. So remembering this, that God is in control of all things. God is the judge of all things. And you don't have to fear. But when God's the judge, justice will be served. Every sin, every transgression, every failure, every fault must receive a just recompense of reward. There's a payment for every swipe of the card, isn't there? And so that's the way God, He's reminding us here, don't you seek after vengeance. 
Vengeance is not your business. It's not your business to get revenge on somebody that has done you wrong. I'll bring vengeance. I will avenge you. I will, because you see, we would err in that. But God, God's working all things after the counsel of His will and His good. And so bless them which persecute you, just as in Matthew, very familiar scripture, the Sermon on the Mount, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. So what's, what are we seeking for? The good of these. Because I believe a good spiritual thought about the whole situation is if they were saved, if they were enlightened by God, they would not be seeking our, our hurt or our persecution. So what, what are we seeking for? That they would be saved. I, I believe we've got a perfect example in Paul the Apostle, probably public enemy number one to the church, known as Saul of Tarsus, a law-abiding Pharisee, and one that was hunting down the church of the living God, one that wanted to persecute, to lock up, and to destroy and wreak havoc, breathing out threatenings and slaughterings, the Bible says of him. So he's the enemy of the church. But you know what God's going to do? God's going to do a work that that man's going to be changed. And God's going to change him from the enemy of the church to the greatest friend of the church. The greatest defender of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in his day. And he's going to die for the cause of the faith. And so God says... Bless them that persecute. Don't try to get vengeance. Don't try to prove your point. Don't allow anger to consume. But know this, God's in control. And as God is in control and God is judge of all, God will bring absolute justice. Bless and curse not because the Lord didn't curse. You know, if, if God had that nature that I'm going to bless them that bless me and I'm going to curse them that curse me, then what hope would anybody have as we grew up and our nature was to sin and rebel against God as as we would willingly break His law and His commandments, as we would knowingly do the wrong thing and God said, well you're now cursed. But that's not the nature of God, is it? Even when we were dead in sins, His goodness was towards us. Even when we were in corruptness and rebellion, even towards Him, God took care of us. He kept us from death. And He brought us to the Lord Jesus Christ. Showing goodness, that was the God's truth. It was undeserved. And as I've been shown undeserved goodness from the hand of God, God asked me to show undeserved goodness to those that would persecute, to bless them, to speak well of them, and curse them not. Rejoice with them 
Well, let me read another verse or two. So Stephen, Stephen the uh, deacon of the church, he's preached the word. They've got him there. They're angry at him. They're going to stone him. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So this man, what, what had this man done to hurt these people? I mean, all he done was preach. That's all that he done. He brought the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, revealing their sinfulness. They're in danger of the judgment of God, the work of Christ to bring salvation. That's all the man had done. And so, you know, as easy as that is, we could have just walked away and said, well, that man's a fool. But no, they're going to stone him. They're going to take his life from him for the gospel that he preached. Not for any evil that he done, but for the gospel that he preached. And so as they're stoning him, Stephen doesn't say, God, bring fire down and eat these people up. But don't lay this to their charge. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. They're blind and they don't recognize what they're doing here. And that's the way man that's in sin is. They don't really know what they're doing. In James 3, Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. So James says that in a well, you can't drop a bucket in and get a bucket of fresh water and then drop a second bucket in and get a bucket of salt water. There's only one type of water there. That's the only possibility that there is. You can't get both out of one well. And so from that, he says we can't curse man with our mouth and bless God with the same mouth. It ought not to be that way. So he says, bless which persecute you. Verse 15, rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. So rejoice, weep, and they all have one mind. You see that? They're, they're like one body. That when I mash the devil out of my finger, my whole body <coughs> seeks to comfort that one member. And as one member suffers, the church is there as love and as support in rejoicing and in sorrow one for another. And you know, uh, I, heard, I heard this verse used this way one time, and I like it pretty good. Well, I don't know what to say in that situation. He doesn't say we have to say anything. But rejoice with them that rejoice, and with them that are broken, we weep with them that weep. That the love of God through each one might be shown to every part of the body. Be of the same mind. To exercise the mind, have sentiment or opinion of. So we're to have the same mind. Now in the flesh, in the flesh that is an absolute impossibility. But if in the Spirit our desire is that the Word and the will of God be exalted 
and lift it up. It's possible for the church to come together and to have one mind and one accord that the Word of God be preached and the Lord Jesus Christ be exalted. It is possible, but only if we come together in the one mind of the Word of God. So to have the same mind one toward another. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. One member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. And so the body, in that unity, in that love for one another, we all we enjoy everyone's enjoyments and we bear one another's sorrows and heaviness. That love is... See, that's through Christ. It's, it's a family. I believe that's the way the family operates. That's the way the church is to operate as well. In Hebrews 13, Remember them that are in bonds as bound with them, and them which suffer adversity as being yourselves also in the body. And so in Job, we know Job and all that Job endured. And his three friends, they hear of his calamity. And they come from their place. And they're going to come to Job and they're going to comfort him and they're going to mourn with him for his sorrow and his calamity and his loss. And what that's going to turn into there is, well, this, this is why that this happened to you. And this is why that you're here. And it's because you've not had enough faith. It's because you've not done enough good. Or it's because you've been engaged in too much evil. You hear that over and over and over again. It's because of you that you're here. Well, we know, and thank God He provided us that. He, he provided us that in His Word. That we might know and recognize, while there may be evil come upon me because I've done evil, and I may face the consequence of my evil actions, that's not always the case, is it? And I might say that about you, but I'll never say that about me. I might say you're in that shape because you've done, but when I'm found in that same place, I'll never say I'm in that shape because I've done this. It's blindness. It's truthfully blindness. The body's not to, not to be there. We're not the masters one of another. The Lord's the Master. But we are to one with another be of the same mind. And, and you know, you think about that same mind there as well. That in love for one another, we're to have that. But the church is to have the same mind about all things. The Word of God. We're to have the same mind. The Word of God's got to be preeminent. 
The Word of God's got to be the most important. The Word of God's got to be, you know, if that's what the Bible says, then that's what I want to believe. That ought to be the mind of the church. I want to know what the Bible says. Now, the mind of man says, well, I, I don't care what that says. This is what I think. That ought not to be. See, if, if that's the way we're going to be, we'll never have the same mind. We cannot approach and come together as brothers and sisters with the same mind if that's our opinion. I can't think that way. I can't believe that. Well, what our opinion ought to be is that whatever God's Word says, that's what I want to believe. And if you can show me what the Word of God says and I'm proven to be wrong, then God help that we move to what the Word of God says. The words must be preeminent. And he says in 1 Corinthians 1, I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. That when one of these men opened the Sunday school, when the teacher, when I'm up here teaching, or John Wayne, or it's out in the fellowship hall with the children, when the preacher gets up to preach the Word of God, we ought to be in agreement that the Word of God is true and that ought to be our desire. And if I get up and my desire is let me read these verses and try to tell you what they mean, and that's the desire of the other men as well, then we'll, we'll be in the same line. Now, I'm not saying that we can't be wrong because we can be wrong. We can err. We can misinterpret what the Bible is saying. We can be wrong. And you know, when, when we are wrong, God help that the Word of God correct, that one of these men that know much more than I know, that they would correct me, that this same mind be maintained and that we speak the same thing and there be no division. When there's disagreement about the Word of God, that's the sharpest division that can be had. And ain't it amazing now that here's a man that's saved and there's a man that's saved. We don't believe alike and there's no ability to, well, let's get the Bible down and see what the Bible says. That, that's, that's the desire of the church. Would you not say that? That when there's a disagreement, when there's, uh, when there's a difference in what I'm saying and what you're saying, we ought to be able to say, well, the Word's preeminent. Let's get it down and go through the book and get it nailed down and get it right. And so that there be no division among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now we've all got different judgment and that changes based on a lot of different variables depending on who or what's being judged. Uh, That's the truth. But you know, the Word of God, one judgment, one mind, one accord, 
One desire, one spirit, one Lord, one baptism, one salvation. And whether it be Camden or Greg, if they're judging by what the Word of God says, and I'm on the other side judging by what the Word of God says, if this is going to be our guide, if this is going to be the standard, if the Word is going to be what we judge by, then you know we can, though different in opinion, different in likes, different in thoughts, different in situation, we can come to the same judgment because the Word of God is our desire. That's the only way that we'll be perfectly joined together because this will be my family. And well, you can't do that. Well, if that's going to be the determination, we'll never be the same mind. Do you see that? But if the Word of God's our desire, we can always have the same mind. 1 Peter chapter 3, Finally, be all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love us, brethren. Be pitiful. Be courteous. So you've got the same mind in doctrine, the same mind in desire. I mean, what's desired at the house of God? Even for the services coming up this week, what would be the desire for these services that we're going to have this week? That the Lord come by, the gospel be preached, His name be glorified, and every man be drawn to Him. That the saved would be drawn closer to Him. That the lost would be illuminated and drawn to Him. That, that ought to be the desire. Not that man be exalted. Not that man be seen. But that the gospel would go out, be heard, and bring us all nearer to the side. How can there be anything wrong? with being brought closer to the Lord. So also, not just in judgment, not just in doctrine, not just in the Word of God, but also the same mind in compassion and in love one for another. So the next verse, verse 17. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't finish 16. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. So mind not high things. Don't exalt yourself above measure. Man would like to be exalted above measure. And I, I would like for you to think very highly of me. That's the nature of man. You, we want man to to look at us and to be in awe of how spiritual, of how straight living, of how uh, holy and good and how hard that we're trying and how much that we're doing. That's the way the Pharisees were. They wore the long robes. They had their flactories around the base of it. They stood praying in the marketplaces and on the street corners and they blew a trumpet. You know what they wanted? They wanted man to see them. They wanted man to honor them. They wanted man to look up to them. They wanted the publicans down there to say, would you look at what a holy man that that is. Now what good did that do God and God's Word? 
It was man worship. And that's what man would like today. It is a contest to outdo one another. It's a contest to see who can be the loudest and make the most racket and who can pour the most sweat and who can be the the straightest. I mean, he preached it the straightest that I've ever heard it. And the focus is on man and not, not on the Word of God. The focus is on man's actions and his mannerisms and on how he acts and not on the Word of God. And the sad thing, when, when there's the focus, then there can be a goings-on, no Word of God preached, and everybody think God came by. Ain't that amazing? That's the way it works. Mind not high things. The devil came to the Lord. As the Spirit thrust the Lord out into the wilderness for temptation, the devil came. This is Luke 4 verse 6. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them. For that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will give it. Now listen to him. He's talking to Jesus. I'll give you this power and the glory of it because, you know, I've got the power to divvy that out. Is that the truth? But you see what he's offering him? Glory and honor. And if that's what I'm looking for, the devil's got an offer. He had an offer for the Lord. If you'll just do this... You can be glorified. If you'll just act this way, and if you'll preach this way, you can be glorified. Your name can be honored. You can be exalted. But he says, don't don't look for and don't desire that. Because now if the Lord Jesus, if His desire was His glory and His honor, it would have been very easy to fall into this trap. You see that? And if your desire is for your glory and for man to see you, then we're going to fall into this trap as well. But Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, godliness with contentment is great gain. Those that are going to seek after riches, those that want to be rich, they're going to sacrifice the Lord to have it. That don't just happen in money either. This Word of God is sacrificed that I can be glorified. The Word and the truth of the Word of God is sacrificed that my name might be exalted. If it's going to become about me and about my works and about my deeds and my holiness that you would look up to and glorify me, then this is dead. I've sacrificed it. I've put God to the side that I might seek after and have my own desire and my own glory. So he says, mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. When there's a list, you want your list to be down at the the very bottom. You want to be the least one in the bunch. Ain't that what the Lord says when you go to a supper? 
When you go to a wedding, don't jump up in the front seat. Don't go to the master's table, but you sit in the lowest seat that you can find. Don't glorify yourself. But as I come in now, you think, here I come into this wedding, and I'm going to sit in the, the lowest and the farthest back table that there is in the house. They're going to look at that man and say, well, boy, that man don't amount to much. He's sitting all the way back there in the back. I don't want people to think that about me. Well, if, if there's going to be our desire, we're going to fall into this trap. That as the trap is laid, we'll want to join in to have the opinion and the well-doings and the well-thoughts of man. But you know, what's good is when that man goes back there in the back and everybody says, well, that man, he's nothing. But the master gets up at that dinner and says, what are you doing all the way back there? You come up here a little closer. So see, it's not, it's not the man glorifying himself, but he went humble and lowly and condescended. He came down from where he thought he ought to be and he went to the back and it was the master that called him up. So what should we seek for? Not that I would glory in myself, but that God could work through me to glorify Himself. And so condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. In Proverbs chapter 3, Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord. Depart from evil. And there's, there's a pile of Scriptures that we could gather in on this just this little phrase. But don't be wise. I believe you could say in your own mind, in your own eyes, that as you think, as I think I know it all, then the gospel can't correct me. If I think I know it all, then the church can't correct me. If I think I know it all, then I don't need advice and I don't need help. I don't need guidance. I don't need leadership. I know what's good for me. I know what's good for my life. And I'm going to go and I'm going to do as I see fit for my glory. Well, he says also in Proverbs that every way of a man is right in his own eyes. So see, here's the problem with me being wise in my own conceits and in my own sight when I'm trusting in me and my wisdom, then I'm going to be going, would you not say that I'm going to be going on a way that's contrary to the Word of God? You know what I'm to be? I'm to be teachable. I'm to be willing to hear the Word of God and willing to move to the Word of God. I'm to be willing to hear what God would say to me, and when God says this needs to happen in your life, I'm to be willing to say, Yea, Lord, that needs to happen in my life. But as man trusts in himself, he's heading down a road of error. Do you know where and how man gets to the place that we don't need church? We don't need 
preaching. We don't need the Word of God. We don't need the Spirit. We don't need God to lead us. We don't need to pray. We don't need to pray that God would direct us. We don't need any of that. You know how you get there? By being wise in your own conceit. We already know it all. And we have need of nothing. And God says you're wretched and poor and miserable and blind and naked. So the Lord, He's the wise one. And as Paul said already, let God be true and every man a liar. Let God be the truth no matter what it costs. There's times that it costs me for God to be right. But we ought to let God be true no matter the cost. Because you don't know more than God does. You don't know more than the Word. You don't know what's right because our mind is corrupted. It's fallen. And the carnal mind is enmity with God. It's not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. It is, it's not able or possible for the carnal to be subject unto God. And so as I submit myself to the carnal, I'm going contrary to God. Contrary to His Word. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. So recompense to no man evil for evil. We know the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. How easily that that rolls off the tongue. But the truth is that's contrary. That's contrary to me. And that's contrary to you. And as we would be provoked, I want to provoke back. And as we would be shoved, I want to shove back. As, as we would be pushed to anger, we want to push to anger back. Back. We, we want to give it back. I said we would get to it. So he's going to speak here about revenge. I believe that's what you see here. This recompensing evil for evil. That's a desire to, to be even. I believe that's what man would say. We used to... Somebody would slap you in the face at school and you'd slap them back and say, now we're even. Don't do it again. Or you'd punch. You know, that, that was just a game. But that's the way man is in his life. I, I can't live peaceably with you. I've not got even yet. Well, the Lord Jesus, when, when He was despised, He didn't despise back. When He was reviled, He didn't revile back. Neither was there any guile found in Him. Now, what were they doing to Him? Well, they were, they were spitting in His face. They were smiting Him. They were whipping Him. They were making fun of Him. They were mocking His claims to be the Savior. They were mocking Him as a prophet. 
They were nailing Him to a cross. And you know, the Lord, He never sought to get even right there. Because the Lord's going to be His judge. You see that? The Lord's going to be the judge. Now think about what I'm about to say. And the Lord, God Almighty, is going to get even. So that's, that's the way the church ought to think. God help, we, we don't need to get even. The Lord will bring justice. And if they would come and submit their self in redemption to God, they could be a part of the family of God as well. But, he says, recompense to no man evil for evil, provide things honest in the sight of all men. So, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrawise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. So he says, don't worry about getting even and don't, don't be evil back. But you bless realizing that God has called you and God is going to reward. He's going to reward those that are evil. He's going to reward those that are His in Christ Jesus. And so provide all things honest. He says in Colossians chapter 4, walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time and provide. The word there, we could, we could read over that real easily, but the word there, provide, it's looking to the future. I'm going to provide what I need for tomorrow. You see, you see what he's saying? He's laying up in preparation for the day that's to come. Well, he says to the church, provide all things honest before all men. So the church's life as it's lived in a world of darkness, as it's lived in a strange world, in a world that's sinful, the lives of the church are to shine the glory of Christ walking in wisdom toward them that are without that God might use even our behavior to speak to the minds and to the hearts of men and women that are in darkness. The grace of God, and, and I, I'm in no disagreement at all. It is the grace of God that illuminates. It's the grace of God that brings and that draws to salvation. But you know, the way I behave out in the world, the grace of God could work on somebody. If I'm acting according to the Scripture, He could use my behavior to open the mind and bring a thought to the heart. And so here provide all things honest, live in a manner that's honest before the world. And I think you could look at the Scripture, and it's coming up at the end of 13, to make not provision for the flesh. Don't lay in order and lay in store that you might fulfill the lusts of the flesh, but make provision, provide things honest before all men. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, abstain from all appearance of evil. That our lives 
as it's under the microscope of a lost and dying world, they look and they see our, our lives, our dedication, our prayerfulness. That is, and I'm not saying we're anywhere close to, but as I look at Daniel's life in the Scripture, I see that Daniel was a man that belonged to God. As I would look at Abraham's life as revealed in the Scripture, I can see that Abraham was a man that belonged to God. As the world looks at our behavior in this world, that they might recognize and know that we belong to God. That's all that's on.